Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. We're coming at you live, not live, from continued home quarantine 2020. That's right. Hope everybody's doing well and staying safe. Um... We're not going to beat you over the head with the obvious right now. Uh, We have heard from some listeners who have told us that they've listened to the podcast and it has helped them through this difficult time, which we appreciate. So I wanted to ask you if you have been listening to any podcasts that have helped you sort of calm down in this really crazy time. So, you know, it's interesting because podcast numbers apparently right now are kind of having a little dip because a lot of people listen to podcasts like on their commute or... You know, kind of during more normal activities. And I have to say, as someone who is kind of like a moderate consumer of podcasts, I actually have not been listening to any. But every podcast I listen to is still putting out episodes. So that's good. I know that I'm going to have a lot more to catch up on when I'm back to listening to them. But honestly, I mean, I think this past week has just been a big sort of like adjustment period for a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm kind of hoping, you know, of course, I don't want this to be our new normal, but I'm hoping that at least in the temporary sense, everyone's going to kind of have their footing a little bit more next week, including myself. And I'm going to catch up on some of my podcasts. Cool. What about you? I have been listening to generally my regular podcast because as you know, I generally listen to podcasts while I'm cleaning and cooking, which I've been doing a lot of lately. Right. Um, The biggest one that's helped me is my favorite podcast, or one of my favorites, 91 Reasons, which is a pop culture, et cetera, podcast by a guy named Jeff Tucker. He works at Knott's Berry Farm. He's an author. He's a big theme park fan, Um, Back to the Future and Star Wars expert. Oh, yeah. He really And they are doing a shutdown diary. So <laughs> Jeff's podcast is generally him talking about whatever, about a movie or a book series or whatever, but 
his family is often on the podcast. So it's his wife, Rachel, and his yeah. kids, Josie, Luna, and Austin, who are all brilliant, who I would love to meet one day. Yeah. And they're doing a shutdown diary. So I just listened to shutdown diary episode five today. Yeah. And it's been fun because they keep it lighthearted. Um, I don't think that they're disrespectful to the scariness and the seriousness of the situation and loss of life. But to me, they sort of remind me that it's okay to not just hide away in panic. It's okay to try to laugh, try to enjoy the things that you love, watch movies, read Harry Potter, make the best of it, make the best of it somehow, whatever it is that makes you feel Okay. You know, like I think a lot of people are taking on, you know, like household projects that they always felt like they didn't have the time to do before now. I've been learning a lot more about Procreate on my iPad, which is an app, a drawing app that I've had for like as long as I've had an iPad. And I just have scratched the surface on like what it can do. And so I actually today, you don't even know this yet, enrolled in an online Procreate course that it's not live or anything. I can go through it whenever I want. On You know, when you say online Procreate course, <laughs> I think of something entirely different. Procreate is the app, hon. Dag. <laughs> How to make babies at home, volume one. So we hope that you all are finding ways to, you know, tackle this really strange period um, that's really uncharted waters for everyone and just finding a way to, you know, feel good and feel okay. And for those of you that we've heard from, we're so happy to be a part of what's making you feel a little bit better. I'm going to play a message when we get to Hedwig's Digital Get Down. We have a question, but I'm also going to play a message that was sent to us by one of our listeners that is kind of exactly that kind of thing. And it's nice to hear from you guys around the world, how you're feeling, how things are going. Definitely. And uh, just know that we are as anxious as you are, and we're all in this together, yeah. and we're going to get through it, and we're going to emerge a better world on the other side. I think we will, too. And keep them coming. Check in with us. Yeah. Let us know how you're doing. So we're covering two chapters today. Seems to be a running theme lately with Goblet of Fire, the two-chapter. They're dense, man. What can I say? Yeah, we're covering chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody. And chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses. And Kev is reading first. The storm had blown itself out by the following morning, though the ceiling in the great hall was still gloomy. Heavy clouds of pewter gray swirled overhead as Harry, Ron, and Hermione examined their new course schedules at breakfast. A few seats along, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan were discussing magical methods of aging themselves and bluffing their way into the Triwizard Tournament. He heard Ron come up into the dormitory a short while later, but did not speak to him. For a long time, Harry lay staring up at the dark canopy of his bed. The dormitory was completely silent, and had he been less preoccupied, Harry would have realized that the absence of Neville's usual snores meant that he was not the only one lying awake. Poor Neville in this stretch, by the way. Yeah, we've got some poor Neville moments in this (sighs) next two chapters. Poor Neville. So like you read, at the top of Mad-Eye Moody, the cha- well, at the top of the chapter Mad-Eye Moody, let me, let me clarify, the gang's just kind of sitting there. They're looking at their timetables. Classes are starting for this term. And if you recall, where we left off was in the Great Hall. Mad-Eye Moody had just come in and like the ceiling was all stormy and he was looking ragged and he was like drinking out of his little flask And just, you know, look at all kinds of intense and eating intensely, as we mentioned. Yeah. If I went to school here, I would say, hey, could you like not make the ceiling match the outside? 
Like, if it's shitty outside, could you make it sunny in the Great Hall? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure the option exists. But, I mean, my God, that's a lot to keep up with. And Hermione is eating again. Yes, and Ron calls her out on it. He's like, oh, wow, look who finally got hungry and can't protest for elf rights anymore. And Hermione says, I've decided there are better ways of making a stand against elf rights. And I thought, oh, God, what is she up to now? Oh, my God. What is she cooking up in the library now? Why do you sound so exasperated? You were all about her elf rights campaign. I just worry about her when she gets her mind on something and goes to the library and starts studying. You never know what the hell's going to happen. Okay, well, when she went to the library and started studying in book two, she saved their asses from the damn basilisk because she figured out what it was, by the way. So she can go to the library whenever she wants. The owls arrive and there's still no Hedwig, which is worrying, right? I mean, Harry's like, did something happen to her? Like, I mean, at this point, he's been waiting to hear back from her like the whole time he was at the burrow. She never showed up. You know, now here it is the first day of classes and she's still not there with the morning owls. You know, Neville gets his little package because he forgot something at home. I relate, Neville. I relate. And we go straight into herbology. Okay, we've got to we've got to talk about the 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 current course in herbology because it's nasty. It's bubo tubers. Bubo tubers that have little pustules on them, and you have to squeeze the pus out. Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there because you know how some people hate the word moist. Yeah, I hate the word pus. Oh, like I don't even want to. It. It's just good. Can, so can we like have a code word for this? Can we call it like um I'm fine with even juice instead of pus. Extract. Extract. Okay, I can deal with that. It reminds me of vanilla extract. And I we find out that. that it's used ironically for acne medication. Yeah, that grosses me out. And the reason it's important is because kids will try to heal their own acne using magic. Yeah. And like one girl screwed her nose all up. I think she like I think her nose was missing. That's what I'm getting from the context because Professor Sprout says something about like, oh, it's all right. Madame Pomfrey got her nose attached again or something. So it's like pretty intense. I mean, listen, I relate. I get it. Blemishes are awful and being a teenager is awful enough. And if you have acne during that time, it can be really, really hard. I didn't start getting acne until I was in my 20s. So I avoided the teenage ridicule, but, you know, just felt like that was all kinds of unfair because everyone else grew out of it. After that thoroughly disgusting lesson, our trio goes down to care of magical creatures. With our boy Hagrid. With our boy Hagrid for another horrifying lesson. Featuring the Blastended Scroots. The Blastended Scroots. Favorite band ever. (laughs) The Blastended Scroots. So, okay, they are, this is directly from the text, deformed shell-less lobsters, horribly pale and slimy looking, with legs sticking out in very odd places and no visible heads. Jesus. And they fart fire. They're fire farters. It propels them forward. I am the fire farter. (laughs) You know what I think that they kind of look like when they were talking about lobsters with no shells? Yeah. I used to have hermit crabs. Yeah. So where we live near the beach, you can buy these quote-unquote hermit crabs. Why are you making quotes? Because they're not salt water dwelling creatures. Because they sell them at these beach shops, you're led to believe, oh, this is the same as like a hermit crab I would see on the shore. 
but they're not. They're these tree crabs from South America. Okay, you're ruining my childhood. So if you put them in salt water, they're going to die. You have to, like, keep these things in an aquarium with rocks and some fresh water. Mm-hmm. You put them in salt water, they're going to die. They're not ocean creatures. They are land-dwelling creatures that people are selling at these shitty little beach shops. The same places you can get, like, a Confederate flag beach towel. <laughs> oh, yeah. All this type of crap. Waves. You know? Waves. A shirt that says, nice coconuts, and it has a girl on it. It's like, bad. It's really bad. Yeah, wings, beaches, whales, eagles. They, they always... they always have names like that okay but now i'm kind of wondering if this is what killed my hermit crab when i was a kid because all i know is that i used to have a hermit crab named jerry garcia and i know that jerry garcia died one time i mean real jerry garcia also died but hermit crab jerry garcia died and it was devastating but i don't remember why he died and i'm kind of wondering if maybe my ass put him in salt water because i was an idiot you probably did i probably did well i had two hermit crabs when i was a kid named kermit and Fozzie. Of course. And the thing with these crabs, these quote-unquote hermit crabs that you get at Wings, love, take me down to the street. (laughs) As they grow, they need a bigger shell. Right. To wiggle their little butts into. So you have to put shells of varying sizes going up from the size shell that they're in when you get them so that when they're ready, they can move shells. Correct. They can move into a bigger shell. Yeah. So I did that. I did. My hermit crabs lived for like a couple years. Like that's, they, they did a pretty, pretty good. good. Job. Yeah. But one day I walked into my room and caught my hermit crab mid shell. Stop. It had pulled itself out of its current shell and was about <gasps> to back into its other shell. And it was the most disturbing thing you've ever seen in your Stop. life. Stop. Think about it. Think about a hermit crab. Take away the shell. What's in there? I don't know. It's just this little long shrimpy body. Stop it's it, like shrimpy a and long millipede. Like <gasps> somebody crossed like a millipede and a shrimp. I think that it I, looks like a lobster with no shell. I think that I assumed that their bodies like didn't go that far into the shell. Like they were kind of just wearing the shell like a backpack. They go further than you think. That is horrifying. I can be a backpack while you run, <laughs> run, 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 jump. Anyway, that's what that made me think that they probably look like. That's so gross. So the blast ended scrutes. <laughs> Dwight Scrooge, they like blast off to move. Yeah. Which can burn you. Yeah. If your finger is near like the back of them when they blast off. Let's let's just get real. If your finger is near the butthole where the fire comes out. Where the fire fart comes out. Can we please, please share with our listeners the story of puffarting? Yes. <laughs> so. Can I get through this without laughing? I don't know if I can. There's this really shitty cruel zoo that should have been shut down 50 years ago yeah in our town it's it's more of just a crappy roadside attraction yeah and it used to be called tote mn zoo because you tote whatever the hell you want in there and drop it off and they put it in the zoo yeah this is one of these shitty places that has like a black bear in a cage or like a deer in a little cage. Like, it's horrible. It's cruel. I wish they would shut it down. I'll publicly shame the shit out of you on this podcast yeah. any chance I get. Hermione it's, would be so pissed. Right. It's now called Trajimbo Animal Park. Yeah. Slash fucking torture chamber. <laughs> so this place has a gift shop. And when me and my brother were kids, we were in the gift shop. And there were these animals, like these little rubber animals. And you squeeze them and they would make a fart sound. <laughs> And the package, I guess because it was like 
British or something? We I don't that's think it's a what, British thing. We though. took it as like, oh, this is like how the British say things. They put peas in front of things. That is not true. And it said <laughs> farting animals. They love to fart, but it was spelled like P H fart instead of F fart. And so me and my brother pronounced it puffarting animals. Puffarting animals. They love to puffart. And so <laughs> you and I always refer to things as Pafarty. <laughs> oh God. Something stinks. Who pafarted? It's been a long standing, you know, element of our culture as a couple. But here's the other layer of humor with that is like the sentence they love to fart. <laughs> like that crap. Pafarting animals. They love to pafart. Like they're just, I don't know. They get such joy out of it. I'm sorry. I just felt like when I was reading this, I couldn't stop thinking about pafarting animals. So you're welcome, everyone. We hope that you had a good chuckle. We all need one. Malfoy asked, like, what's the purpose of these damn things anyway? Yes. And Hagrid's reaction is my favorite. He's just like, completely stumped by that question he's like i don't know i don't know the purpose behind anything that i raise in my weird little hut he also doesn't know what they eat he doesn't know how big they get he basically doesn't know anything about these creatures he suspects if he keeps feeding them that they'll get to be six feet no that's hermione that says that oh really Hagrid has no fucking clue yeah he has no idea. It sounds like a great plan. You know, let's have a bunch of children raise these animals that I have no idea what they'll do. At least with the hippogriffs last year, like, yes, they were dangerous, but Hagrid knew all about hippogriffs. Like, he could tell you, oh, you've got to bow to him and wait till he bows back. And if he doesn't, then you need to get away from him. Like, he knew enough to have, like, an informed kind of safety plan. He does not with the blast-ended screws. No, nor did he with the puff-flubber worms. <laughs> or with the flubber <laughs> Flubber worms. They, they love, love to, to flubber. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, Malfoy's being a real shit during this time, but he's not wrong. You know, I mean, Malfoy's kind of just like, and Hermione says the same thing. She's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I said what I said to shut him up, but. He was telling the truth. I mean, Malfoy's basically like, uh, this makes no fucking sense, Hagrid. And Hermione once again mentions that she's been at the library, so again. she's up to something. Yes. Yeah, so we get these little hints. Now, minus Hermione, because if you recall, she very spectacularly dropped out of this class last year. Ron and Harry go to divination. And Trelawney has like a new message for Harry, of course, about his imminent doom she says you are preoccupied my dear my inner eye sees past your brave face to the troubled soul within and i regret to say that your worries are not baseless i see difficult times ahead for you alas most difficult i fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass and perhaps sooner than you think and of course it's like oh yeah, yeah whatever but that those words kind of stick in harry's head a little bit i mean like he's a little preoccupied with it to the point where they have to be like harry yo 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 you're being asked a question because you know his scar was hurting and like maybe there's some like bad shit happening god take it easy on this kid i know and what harry. she's asking him which he's zoning out not listening to <laughs> because she's already freaked him out <laughs> Is that he was born under the influence of Saturn. Yeah. Is Saturn? No. Okay. So I'm thinking of Mars. I was going to ask you if Saturn is like the war planet, but that's Mars, isn't it? I don't know. 
Okay. It's, Saturn has the rings, though. Well, yeah. Yeah, I know that much. But I think it's Mars that's the war planet. At any rate, yeah, we're moving into astrology in divination this year. And she's like, you were born under Saturn because of your dark hair and your mean stature. I don't know what that means. I don't either. But she says, let me guess. You were born in midwinter. And he's like, I was born in July, lady. (laughs) So funny. It's kind of an epic moment, really. And then can we talk about Ron and his cheek on 170? For me, anyway, 170. Me, it's 201. That's how different our pages are. Oh, wow. Weird. Do you know what moment I'm talking about? I do. It's probably (laughs) Seamus and Dean, who are working nearby, sniggered loudly. They're not loudly enough to mask the excited squeals from Lavender Brown. Oh, Professor, look, I think I've got an unexpected planet. Ooh, which one's that, Professor? It is Uranus, my dear, said Professor Trelawney, peering down at the chart. Ron says, can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender? (laughs) Jesus Christ, Ronald. Quite frankly, I am shocked that a young British boy would make such a lewd joke. This sounds like an American teenager joke. Yeah, they're cheeky. Oh, my God. So after divination, the gang's sort of like on their way to their next class. You know, like how it is. I say, you know how it is at a boarding school. Neither one of us have ever been to a boarding school. But, you know, between classes, you're kind of wandering around. Yeah, and they're going to the entrance hall. Yeah. Okay. So they're headed to the entrance hall. Which is packed with people queuing for dinner. Queuing for dinner. And they run into Malfoy again. Only he has a newspaper with him. And he's like, hey, Weasley, your dad's in the paper. And he reads him this article. Sum up this article for us. It is further mistakes at the Ministry of Magic. It seems as though the Ministry of Magic's troubles are not yet at an end, writes Rita Skeeter, special correspondent. Recently under fire for its poor crowd control at the Quidditch World Cup and still unable to account for the disappearance of one of its witches, the ministry was plunged into fresh embarrassment yesterday by the antics of Arnold Weasley of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts office. So the article goes on to say that Arnold Weasley, (laughs) who they're talking about Arthur, right? Yeah. This is when he showed up because Mad-Eye was freaking the hell out and jinxing everything and trash can lids are flying in the air and the police men show up. The police men. And Arthur goes there to try to calm things down. Yeah. And Rita Skeeter caught wind of it and now she's writing about it. Rita Skeeter, if you recall, is the same one who was like... There's no word yet on the rumors that several bodies were pulled out of the forest. Like, she's a sensationalist. Yeah, she's like all the freaking media right now. Exactly. Yeah. And so Arthur's kind of like the flying car situation. We know that that's kind of out now. Yeah. And then there's the whole him coming out of the woods and what you were just talking about with Rita Skeeter. And now he shows up and has to, like, memory charm the policeman. And they're like, why would you get involved? Right. Why would the ministry get involved? Right. I mean, this guy's retired. Like, why is it still your business type of thing? And he got involved because Amos Diggory asked him to. And Arthur really likes Mad-Eye and, you know, knows that, like, Mad-Eye's kind of... I mean, Rita Skeeter even says in that article about him, she says, Mr. Weasley appears to have rushed to the aid of Mad-Eye Moody, the aged ex-orer who retired from the ministry when no longer able to tell the difference between a handshake and attempted murder. So, like, if he doesn't have, like, a super favorable view socially right now. Like, everyone kind of thinks about him as being this paranoid old ex-auror. And, yeah, I mean, I think what she's trying to do is suggest that there's something, like, nefarious going down. Now, we as the reader know that he stepped in because Amos was like, dude, please go, like, do damage control with this. 
Unfortunately, Rita Skeeter got a hold of the story. But Malfoy is saying, oh, my God, they don't even get your dad's name right. Oh, my God, look at your mom and dad in front of their house in this picture. Your mom is fat. He literally is like, your mom's porky. Your mom could lose some weight. Like, what the fuck, dude? This kid. Then Harry says back to Malfoy, what about the look that your mom has on her face all the time? Now it's on. <laughs> it's, it's your, your mama, mama jokes. jokes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, your mama got a glass out of fish in it. Whoa, what? Is that a real one? You ever heard the, far? you know, the hip hop group Farside? Sort of. The far side had a Yo Mama song. Your mom oh. is so fat. How fat is she? Your mama is so big and fat that she could get busy with 21 burritos at Room to Rough. I've seen it okay. in the back of Taco Bell with handcuffs. You clearly know right. all the words to this. All right. Yeah. And not- so they're Yo Mama joking. Yeah, it's not aging well. And, and all right. of this. And then Harry feels something graze the side of his face. Malfoy has attacked him. Like shot a little wand, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning he bolt. Shot a little magic at him out of his wand. Yeah, and did it while his back was turned. Yeah, which uh, Mad Eye Moody doesn't care for <laughs> because Moody's Moody intervenes. I mean, his name is Moody. Okay, I mean, and his first name, not legally, is Mad Eye. <sighs> I mean. The little bit of context we've had about this guy up until this point, like we know he's not exactly like non-controversial. One might even say not exactly stable. We know that he has a tendency to be paranoid, to possibly even fly off the handle, you know. And so Mad-Eye steps in, but it kind of all happens really fast and turns Malfoy into a ferret and bounces him like off the ground. Oh my God. He's like hitting the ground, flying in the air, hitting the ground, flying in the air. Like this has to hurt. It has to hurt. And I feel so many things because part of me is like, sweet, some justice. This guy's the worst. He really deserved this. Kind of like when Hermione punched him in the nose in the last book. I think she slaps him in the book and she punches him in the movie, but still. However, it's also like, this is still a child. (laughs) And you're physically abusing him. It's bad enough you turn him into a ferret. That's traumatic enough. But yeah, now you're like physically abusing a child. And McGonagall comes up and says, what are you doing? And he says, teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Moody has some real zingers. And she says, is that a student? (laughs) She's like, "Uh, yeah, we don't. um, That's not. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Surely Dumbledore told you we do not use transfiguration as punishment. I mean, quite frankly, I think that should go without saying. But it appears that Dumbledore did actually mention that to Mad Eye. (laughs) He just disregarded it. Everyone's so at their freaking wits end with this kid. Like he needs to be taught a really serious lesson that he can never unlearn. Yeah. He won't. It won't matter. He'll just go blab to his dad. Even when he turns him back into a human, he's, my father, my father. Yeah. Well, and speaking of his father, Moody has some interesting comments about his dad. He says, well, I know your father of old boy. You tell him Moody's keeping a close eye on his son. You tell him that from me. Ooh, interesting. And then he says, your head of house will be Snape, will it? Yes, said Malfoy resentfully. Another old friend, growled Moody. What's that about? I think it's about this guy is the best anti-dark arts guy around. Right. And Lucius Malfoy and Snape dip their toes in the old dark arts water. 
Mm. And he's more powerful than them, and he's not afraid of them. And yeah, he can take them down to Chinatown. <laughs> he's the man that will put you in Azkaban. <laughs> Three cheers for Mad Eye. I'd been in Azkaban seven years when I met Andy Dufresne. <laughs> that still hasn't gone away. So Lee Jordan apparently is best friends with Fred and George. Yes. Right? We remember Lee from 10 points, Gryffindor. Yes. He's the one that announces the Quidditch matches. Yes, hilariously announces the Quidditch matches. And they're talking about Moody like, holy crap, dude. Did you see what Moody did to Malfoy? And I love how they put it. They're like, he knows, man. He knows. He knows what it's out there to actually be out there doing it, man. He's doing the damn thing, bro. He's been there, man. He's seen things. He's fought the actual dark art in real life like he's a badass yeah it's almost kind of like i showed you this meme with like you know you can't explain a meme in words but it was essentially talking about like when we look back on this time with this coronavirus shit that it's gonna be like we have the vietnam chopper sounds in our heads you know and that's what i always think of with mad eye moody it's like he's a Vietnam vet, and they're like, he's seen it, man. He's been there. He was there. in the shit. He was in the shit. He saw some action. He was in the shit, man. Yeah, he was like Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And they, Fred, George, and Lee loved the Defense Against the Dark Arts class that they had with him, but our protagonists have not yet had him for Defense Against the Dark Arts. They didn't have him until later right. in the week. Now, as we move into the chapter, The Unforgivable Curses, This chapter is essentially just this class with a little bit before and after the class. But the bulk chapter. Oh my God. So much to talk about. Yes. There is a conversation about Snape having been in a particularly bad mood because, of course, he's terrible to Neville. I mean, to me, I'm like, "Eh, it kind of sounds like normal Snape. But they're speculating that, well, he always wanted the defense against the dark arts job. He's disliked everyone who's been in that position because he's pissed that he didn't get it again. But also Harry thinks, and this is kind of saying something that you had mentioned just a few minutes ago, Harry kind of speculates maybe Snape's afraid of Moody because he seems to particularly like not necessarily dislike Moody, but there's something weird there. And Harry's like, I think he's afraid of him. Yeah. I mean. I think he is too. I think Moody's very powerful. Absolutely. How else did he put all these people in Azkaban? He definitely didn't do it by not being really fucking good at his job and not being really tenacious. And yeah, he might be a little bit unhinged or unbalanced, but that's like every good cop movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> like the protagonist is always a little bit unhinged, a little fucked in the head. Like Lee, Fred, and George said, he knows, man. He knows. He's been there. He's seen it. So they go to Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Moody immediately tells him, put your books away. He's gotten permission from Dumbledore, not from the ministry. <laughs> from Dumbledore to teach them more than just how to block curses, but to actually show them what these curses look like. Now, the question is, did Dumbledore know exactly how far this lesson was going to go? I don't know. Who knows? He does say something very interesting, too. Mm. He says, I've got one year to teach you guys this stuff. Yeah. Ron's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not staying? He's like, no, I'm going back to retirement after this. Yeah. He says, I'm doing this as a favor. I'm going back to my quiet retirement. Mm-hmm. And then he like laughs really abruptly and scarily. <laughs> this guy's insane. <laughs> He's crazy. So let's get into the curses. Let's get into the curses. He demonstrates these using three spiders. Yes. Right. 
which I thought this was super interesting because, and we'll get into this a little bit later with some Hermione stuff at the end of the chapter. Yeah. But he tortures these three animals. Yeah. To teach them this lesson. Yeah. Now, England is the birthplace of the concept of animal rights. I didn't know that. And it was born out of the anti-vivisectionist movement. Tell, tell me more about that. I don't know what that is. Vivisection is basically like this, like testing on animals, right. using animals in a cruel way to make scientific discovery. Got it. Okay. And so England was the birthplace of people saying, hey, I think this is unnecessary. Right. I think it's unnecessary to torture animals, you know, to feed a chicken roundup to see how he acts. You know, like we still test on animals today. And some people still refer to animal testing as vivisection. Okay. Okay. That is really interesting. But the fact that you've got this whole elf rights, Mm -hmm. animal rights kind of metaphor parallel going on. Yeah. And then Moody uses these three spiders to teach these curses. I just thought it was pretty interesting. It's definitely a pervasive tone. I think even just in these first, you know, chapters of this book, you know, we're getting into the realm of being a quarter of the way through the book. I don't know that we're quite a third of the way through the book just yet, but it's definitely something that keeps coming up again and again and again. So he demonstrates these on spiders. There are three unforgivable curses. And he says, after he's gone through all three of them, I mean, they're called unforgivable curses. That gives you kind of a clue of how bad they are. But he also says that using these will send you to Azkaban for life. A life sentence for using these. This is really bad dark arts. Really, really bad. And it makes you wonder, like, why is he teaching these kids this? Is he teaching the kids this or is he teaching one kid this? it's a really good question yeah it's a, a certain really kid with question. glasses and a scar on his head i mean he seems he gets so impassioned when he's talking about you need to know what it looks like and his whole constant vigilance thing constant vigilance is a phrase that is thoroughly associated with mad eye moody throughout the series it's his tagline for sure but let's start with number one the first unforgivable curse is the imperious curse which you say imperio imperio What does it do? You can make another living thing do whatever you want it to do. Yeah. So he takes the spider, makes the spider like curl up, makes Mm -hmm. him tap dance. Mm -hmm. He says, I can make him jump out of the window, drown himself, or jump down one of your throats. Yeah. I can make this spider do anything I want to with this curse. And we have something very interesting history-wise come up. Yes, tell me. He says, back in the Voldemort days, there were lots of witches and wizards being controlled by the curse. Yeah. And it was hard for the ministry to know whether these people were being like mind controlled, whether they were under the imperious curse or whether they were taking their own actions. And just saying that they were under the imperious curse. Thinking how confusing that is. Right. Because you could not be under the curse, Mm -hmm. go kill someone and then claim, I was under the imperious curse. I didn't know what I was doing. Exactly. And, and that's that exactly what possible. happened. That's exactly what happened. On the flip side, you have people that are probably like good people that are yeah. doing horrible things yeah. because they are under the curse. It's a really, I think that between the three, this one can seem the most innocuous, you know, compared to the other two. 
But when you think about the possibilities that this would allow you to be able to control another person's actions so thoroughly. You could make someone kill someone. Yeah. You could make someone do anything you want them to do. And then when you start thinking about the fact that like if you were able to control, you know, the president's wife, the president looks at his wife, trusts his wife, right? Maybe maybe not this president, but, you know, a fictitious good yeah. president looks at his wife or husband, knows them, spends their life with this person, and this person is under the imperious curse. Like, when you factor in trusting relationships, too, I mean, like... You can do so much damage with this curse. And I kind of see the metaphor here as people that become consumed with greed. Sure. Like we just found out that a certain North Carolina senator (sighs) who's on a certain committee Mm -hmm. in our government found out about the coronavirus stuff in January and dumped a bunch of stock. And then told the state everything was fine. Yeah, Yeah. Because he knew that the stock market was going to tank. And so he sold all his money. This guy literally cares more about money Mm -hmm. than human life. Yeah. That's basically the imperious curse. Yeah. That's being under this spell, which is not being put there by anyone else. It's being put there by your own greed. Yeah. Your own evil. I like that metaphor. You know, I like that metaphor too, because it also implies that, if all of it were to be stripped away, that there is always hope. You know, like in Almost Famous, there's still, what does she say? It's not too late for you to become a person of substance. Exactly, yes. Dude, your mom just freaked me out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What we also learn about the Imperious Curse is that it can be fought off, but it's really hard to do that and not everyone has the will to do it so you know what moody is saying is basically like if someone is casting the imperious curse on you it is possible for you to know it's happening and for you to fight it but it's really hard yeah yeah so then the second unforgivable curse the cruciatus curse crucio crucio you know i mean we can look at the i don't know what the latin root word means but i mean i think of crucifixion right i mean like it's pain yeah it's it's violence in some way it's a torture curse yeah absolutely and he takes this poor spider and tortures the crap out of him it's awful it's really awful and it's neville who names this curse and it's neville who is definitely the most upset by it really triggered by this yeah number one it's because this poor spider, which he has enlarged so everyone can see how much it's suffering. Yeah. And then he makes it suffer. This is a little boy watching an animal get tortured. But you also get the feeling that there's something else triggering him. Yeah. Too. Yeah, maybe there's something else. Because, like, a lot of people in the class, I would venture to say almost everyone in the class, is bothered by this and yeah. upset by this. But his reaction is really disproportionately intense to yeah. it. Um, And it kind of has these lingering after effects when they see him in the hall, which we'll get to. We also have, in terms of history with the Cruciatus curse, all that's said is that this one came up a lot during Voldemort's time, too. This one was used a lot. What would you imagine it would have been used for during that time? To get information out of people. Yeah. This is kind of like in Lost. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm a torturer. I'm a torturer. Saeed. Yeah. That beautiful man. Mm. 
about to rewatch Lost during this quarantine. He's a beautiful man until he puts bamboo shoots underneath your fingernails. Oh, no, he's still a beautiful man when he does that. And he's just very beautiful while doing it. And then finally, number three, the final curse named by Hermione, the killing curse, Avada Kedavra. Which sounds a lot like abracadabra. Yeah, there are some theories about that. There's some some very interesting internet rabbit hole theories about why those two are very similar. And this is the killing curse. Yes. The killing curse is killing me. Are you trying to sing The Killing Moon? Yeah, by Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah. It's a great song. You and the family band like to play that song. Yes, my brother and, and my sister-in-law and I like to play that. It's the Killing song. Curse is very complicated. It kills you. It <laughs> It kills you. <laughs> we learned that there is no stopping it. Nope. There's no counter curse. Nope. If it's now, I mean, a killing curse can miss you. Yeah. But if it's on its target, there's no counter curse. There's no blocking it. Right. Basically. Miss me with that curse shit. Miss me with that curse shit. Um, and it, that it emits a green light. So then we're called back to the top of this book when Harry's vision with Frank Bryce you know, he saw a green light. And mm-hmm. then I had asked you at that time, do you remember that was like Harry's only memory from yeah. childhood was the green light. And that was when he thought it was a car crash that killed his parents. He couldn't figure out where that green light came from in his memory. And then here's the crazy thing. Okay. Moody says, in fact, only one person has ever survived the killing curse. Mm-hmm. One kid. And he's looking right at Harry Potter. Yep. So we know that Harry's dad was killed first. Yes. And then Harry's mom was trying to block him from killing, trying to block Voldemort from killing Harry. Yeah. She was killed. Then Voldemort, this is the spell that he used to try to kill Harry, Mm -hmm. which bounced back on him and put him in this weird state that he's in now. Exactly. And this is a really sad moment for Harry because, like, I I put um, kind of an asterisk next to this. So that was how his parents had died, exactly like that spider. Had they been unblemished and unmarked, too? Had they simply seen the flash of green light and heard the rush of speeding death before life was wiped from their bodies? It's almost better for him to think that they just went out painlessly. Right, right. And I mean, there's nothing about this spell that suggests that it's a painful death, but I think anytime there's someone close to you has died and you get information about what that death was probably like, that's really hard. That's got to be really, really hard. Yeah. And I love what Moody starts shouting at the kids. Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance. He's like, look, guys, you have to be vigilant. And I'm like, could there be a more appropriate term for right now? Constant vigilance. Like listeners, listening to me. (laughs) There are going to be a lot of temptations for you to get negative. Yep. And a lot of temptations for you to judge your fellow man and a lot of misinformation. And there's going to be a lot of dark shit like this thing we talked about with the senators. There's more and more coming out. That a lot of governments knew this thing was coming towards this level that we're at now yeah. and literally did nothing. Yeah. And the blood of 10,000 people is on their hands right now. Constant vigilance. Yeah. We have to be vigilant. And the way that we're vigilant is with our kindness mm-hmm. and with our sifting through the bullshit to uncover the truth of what's actually going on and by helping our fellow man. And by having hope. 
and having hope. The darkness is here. Constant vigilance, folks. Yeah, I'll take it directly from the, the text. That's what you're up against. That's what I've got to teach you to fight. You need preparing. You need arming. But most of all, you need to practice constant, never-ceasing vigilance. Oof. Mm. Take it from us, Mad-Eye Wilson. Just the two of us together are Mad-Eye Wilson. Also known as the Pafarting Podcaster. <laughs> Pafarting the podcast. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> Neville is shook. Yeah. Bad. Really bad. He's like not making sense. No, they catch him in the hallway and he's just kind of like blubbering to himself and mixing his words up. So Moody comes and is like, come with me, Neville. Like, yeah. Come, let's go have a cup of tea. You he know? calls him Sonny. Come on, Sonny. Let's go have a cuppa. It's going to be all right, which yeah. I love this about British culture. Like, let us go have a cup of tea. Like, calm I down. Have it. a cup of tea. I love it. I absolutely love tea as this, like, panacea that will just help you with any emotion you're feeling. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm into it. I'm going to start embracing it. But yeah, Neville is definitely still upset. Moody says, come on, I've got some books that might interest you. And we do find out later that he gave him a book about, what is it? It's water plants. It's something about water plants. And that Moody shared with him that he had heard he was really good in herbology. Oh my God. The text says that Harry thought that was a really kind of clever and respectful way for Moody to make him feel better and that it sounds like something Lupin would have done. Yeah. Mm. And as soon as he mentions Lupin, a, a little tear runs down my cheek. <laughs> yeah. But we also have two very important things to cover. Actually, three very important things to cover that do happen at the very end of this chapter before we can go into prophecies and marriage lessons. Number one is the hilarity that is the bullshit of this divination homework that these two are making <laughs> up. It's so funny. It's funny. Every time I read it, I can just see the way the dialogue is written. I can see these two bouncing this off of each other. Just such a load of crap. They're like, look, she's full of shit. She doesn't know. None of this means anything. All we have to do is predict the darkest shit that we can and yeah. she'll be happy. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's such a funny stretch of pages. Fred and George up to something in the corner. Harry doesn't really know what they're doing. They're kind of conspiring, but Lee's not with them. And Harry thinks that's kind of strange. And he's not sure if it has to do with the order form stuff or if it has to do with Triwizard Tournament stuff. So, you know, we'll just kind of earmark that a little bit. And then we have the introduction of a concept I have been so excited for you to be exposed to. The SPEW. Spew. Spew, spew, spew. Spew, spew, spew. Hermione says, it's not spew. It's S-P-E-W. S-P-E-W. It stands for the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. Yes. Yes. Now, Hermione does recognize that spew is not the most appetizing acronym, but her original name, which was Stop the Outrageous Abuse of Our Fellow Magical Creatures and Campaign for a Change in Their Legal Status, wouldn't fit. So it became the heading of their manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> At my high school, we had SCAR, the Student Coalition for Animal Rights. Oh, you had your own spew? Are you telling me you had your own spew? It wasn't my spew. <gasps> Let me tell you, they were spewing all kinds of crap at that first meeting, too. Really? It, it was a great thing? idea. Yeah. This was when 
So this is in the 90s, probably like this is mid-90s. So this is when veganism, before it became a household word, before you could find like vegan products at the grocery store, this is when the animal rights movement was really moving through hardcore and punk rock music yeah. in the early to mid-90s. And there were a lot of people at my school that were starting to go vegetarian and embrace veganism. There was also a parallel with the straight edge movement of okay. being drug, alcohol, and substance free, yeah. but also being free of eating meat and dairy. So like the okay. straight edge veganism movement kind of was moving along together. Okay. And that was embedded in hardcore punk rock and that sort of scene. Yeah. So animal rights was a thing that was really like starting to be talked about in high school age kids in the 90s. And so one of my fellow students, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was a girl named Heather, but she started SCAR, Student Coalition for Animal Rights, which I thought was super cool. I went to the first meeting and did not enjoy myself, so I never went back. Yeah, It was a lot of um, conflicting opinions about things by young people that really didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Right, right. I mean, I just think it's so, it's such an interesting age, this like... 13, 14 year old age, I feel like this is the time when you start becoming outraged by things that you're starting to know more about in the world. Oh, this was me to a T. <clears throat> I remember when I first learned about Andrew Jackson. Yeah. And the fact that he was this like genocidal maniac yeah. that we put on the $20 bill. He's still on the $20 we, bill. Yeah, we proclaim him as a hero and name highways after him and all this stuff. And this yeah. guy was a, an absolute monster. It's documented in history that he's a monster. I remember that coming about, learning more about the civil rights movement, learning more about slavery, yeah, abolitionist movement, learning about animal rights, even starting to learn about homophobia yeah. and feminism and all of these things. And you're just like, Jesus, this is not the world that I thought I was inheriting. Right. So you're saying if you were at Hogwarts, you would have joined SPEW. Yeah, I think it would have fought for some elf rights. You would have given your two sickles, which... Santa, I know him! <laughs> what? What? Elf. Oh, Jesus. My God, I thought you were having a stroke for a second. Some kind of weird episode. Is there sugar and syrup? Then yes. <laughs> such a, we, they need to play that movie on TV. We need it right now. So the, the cost to join Spew, two sickles, that covers your badge. And we'll also fund the leaflet campaign. And I do love how Hermione's just like, Ron, you're the treasurer. Harry, you're the secretary. You might want to be writing this down. She says, I've been researching it thoroughly in the library. Elf enslavement goes back centuries. I can't believe no one's done anything about it before now. And Ron says, Hermione, open your ears. They like it. They like being enslaved. Oh, really, Ron? Oh, really? How the fuck would you know that? And also, who, what kind of creature can like being enslaved? Especially when this is a creature who's literally never known anything else. Like, you can't say someone likes something just because they've been oppressed literally their entire life and don't have a frame of reference. Yeah, it's weird. And it also brings up there's such a huge backlash to the animal rights movement. Mm. And for good reason in a lot of different ways. I think PETA has done a lot of things the wrong way. Yeah. And they've sort of ruined the voice of the movement. You had the Blackfish movie come out a few years ago, which tarnished SeaWorld's reputation. And it brings up the choice of like, listen, the orcas are happy. They like to perform. They like to live in this tank. And people on the other side saying, 
how do you know that? They don't have right. a voice. They can't tell you that. So right. she's touching on this stuff yeah. using this whole elf thing. The weird thing, though, is that elves aren't like animals. Like right. elves talk. Yeah. They walk around. They're basically like almost like a different version of a human. They make decisions. This they is have more priorities. of like a human rights issue right. almost than an animal rights issue. Yeah. Ron's reaction there, not uh, not a great moment for Ron. But Hermione has short and long-term aims for Spew. I, I refuse to say S-P-E-W because it's just too much. I'm going to call it Spew like Harry. Uh, and Hermione says that the short-term aims are to secure house elves fair wages and working conditions. And the long-term aims include changing the law about non-wand use and trying to get an elf into the department for the regulation and control of magical creatures because they're shockingly underrepresented. It's a bit idealistic. Like any 14-year-old who takes on a cause, they believe, and I think this is a beautiful thing, they believe they're going to change the world. Yeah. And sometimes they do. So I think all 14-year-olds should try to change the world. How ironic that she talks about underrepresentation. Mm -hmm. And now that so many years have gone by, people have accused JK right. of underrepresenting certain groups of people. I mean, look at that. Yeah, absolutely. That's an, a really excellent point. And then, like you said, she's like, okay, and you're the treasurer, and here's your badge. How many people remember this group? Three of us now. Anyway, so, <laughs> so funny. I love her. She's assertive. She knows what she wants, and she's doing it. But before they can really get any further with Spew, Hedwig is back. And Hedwig has a response from Sirius. It, it's, to say the least, a bit cryptic. Do you want to read it, or shall I? Yes. If you're going to read it, though, I need you to read it in your best serious voice. Oh, no. Why don't you read it? You have a good serious voice. I don't want to do it in my serious voice. I just wanted you to do it. Oh, damn it. Okay, fine. Harry, I'm flying north immediately. Why? Why? Why has he been smoking five packs a day for three years? Okay. He was in Azkaban <laughs> smoking them hand-rolled Bible I paper cigarettes. I do not think they allow you to smoke cigarettes in Azkaban. Harry, I'm flying north immediately. This news about your scar is the latest in a series of strange rumors that have reached me here. If it hurts again, go straight to Dumbledore. They're saying he's got Mad-Eye out of retirement, which means he's reading the signs, even if no one else is. I'll be in touch soon. My best to Ron and Hermione. Keep your eyes open, Harry. Serious. And Harry gets so mad at himself. So mad at himself. He's like, oh my God, I should have never mentioned my scar hurting. Yeah. Now he's going to come up here. If he comes up here, he could get arrested again. Like now he feels like he's put Sirius's life in danger. I know. And I mean, to me, like if Harry was in front of me with this shit, I'd be like, dude, Sirius is a grown man. He's making this decision to come up and see you because he's worried about you. And also maybe there's something to worry about. There's some really cryptic shit in this letter. Dumbledore's reading the signs. That to me what is are the, the scariest signs? part of yeah. this letter. And that goes into what I've always said, which is there's this thing playing out right. that has to play out. And Dumbledore knows it. And he's putting all the pieces in place, including yeah. Mad-Eye Moody. Lupin was put there to protect Harry. Moody's put there to protect Harry. Everything Dumbledore does is to protect the boy child who will eventually rise up and defeat Satan himself. Wow. Wow. Mic drop.
So I'm wondering if Professor Kevlani is also reading the signs. I am, and I do have a bit of a prophecy that has to do with reading the signs. Excuse me? How's that inception? Holy shit. My prophecy is that we will learn that the Triwizard Tournament itself is also a result of Dumbledore, quote-unquote, reading the signs. Really? Yes. Why is he pulling back out this 700-year-old tournament that used to kill people? Why does he happen to bring this back now? Why did he just decide this to come back? Right. There's some greater purpose for the Triwizard Tournament. Okay. And it's not to bring kids together so they can meet someone from France. And it's not to bring glory to the school. It's not about that. I don't know what it's about. It's either like preparing the students for some sort of battle or he's using it for some sort of angle. The Triwizard Tournament is not a fluke. It is the result of Dumbledore reading the signs and using it in some way to prepare for the battle against Voldemort. Ooh, Kev's got like the Obama hand right now. Listen, uh, <laughs> Voldemort is a real threat to this country. And uh, I was talking to Malia yesterday and... Uh, oh, well, we miss you, Obama, please. Okay. What's our uh, Hedwig's digital get down whistle? What's like, what does like pissed Hedwig sound like? Because she's pissed at Harry in his reaction. Who? <laughs> Who are you talking to? <laughs> oh, wow. Won't make freshen that up for you, honey. Okay, well, all right. There you go. I do want to play a message that we received from, she's also one of our marauders from Faith. 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 And I just wanted to play this because this was a really nice message to get. So I'm going to play it now. Hey, Amanda and Kev. So I just want to thank you guys for just putting out this awesome podcast. I was traveling home from work on Wednesday and it was probably one of the worst travel days ever. And thankfully, I got to listen to this podcast and I can't remember where it was, but I think Kevin was talking about like, I don't know. I can't remember it, but right now, cause I, it's just been a world of craziness. So what happened was, um, so I live in Utah, but I work in Texas and I work six weeks on and I have two weeks off and Wednesday was the start of my two weeks off. So I usually fly from, uh, Midland to Dallas and then to Salt Lake. Well, I don't know if you guys know or not, but on Wednesday at 7.10 in the morning in Salt Lake City, they experienced a 5.7 magnitude earthquake, which shut down the airport. And I didn't know that until I got to Dallas. So it was a pretty crazy day. And anyway, um... I just want to say thank you. You guys are awesome. Keep putting out your podcasts because, oh, it's what got me through the day. So thank you, and I hope you guys are living your best quarantine life. Um, so, but I made it home. Luckily, I made it home Wednesday night. Um, but yeah. So again, thank you. You guys are awesome. Bye. Well, keep your head up, Faith. That sounds like a really intense day i mean like salt lake city had a freaking earthquake in the middle of all of this like what the hell 
But I mean, I, I love that message because just knowing that like we make this show because it makes our day brighter, but knowing that it's also brightening up other people's day. I mean, it's just like reward, reward, reward. I also want to know if Faith is a fan of the modern country band Midland. Why? Because she said, I usually travel from Midland, Texas. That's the band's namesake, that town. I'm pretty sure I hate that band. I love that band. I'm sure you do. Faith, settle this dispute. Is Midland a good country band or not? Ooh. At any rate, keep it up. Keep your chin up. We're thinking of you. We're thinking of all of you guys. Now, our actual question is from, this is kind of like the Hedwig's Digital Get Down Marauder edition, because our question's from Austin. This one's pretty straightforward. And I did kind of bump him up the queue because it's so topical. <laughs> yeah, awesome, Austin. Awesome, Austin. His question is, if you could be quarantined with one person from Harry Potter, who would it be? From Harry Potter? Yeah. <laughs> oh. While you're thinking, because I've had a chance to think about this question, I have to say, I think I would go with Dumbledore. Because Dumbledore always kind of seems to have the answers, but he's also very calming, you know, and he really likes candy and I really like candy and I feel like we would eat candy and he would make us feel better about the state of the world while also like still being informed and also like, let's face it, Dumbledore just seems to kind of know everything. And so I feel like we would get a lot of answers from Dumbledore. Yeah. You think he was going to really spill the beans, Dumbledore? I mean, in his own way, maybe. <laughs> Maybe if he was a guest in our home, he would. I would be quarantined in Hagrid's hut. Ooh, I almost said Hagrid. Because he makes food and we could get drunk. I know that he yes. has alcohol. He definitely does have alcohol. He doesn't make very good food, though, hun. He doesn't. He makes those, like, rock cakes. Yeah. But he has a fireplace and he has a big old dog. And so yeah. I could get kind of wine drunk and curl up with Fang. Okay. Yeah. In front of the fire. Hagrid might get a little weepy. But oh my God, you know he'd be crying the whole time. <laughs> but Dumbledore I, doesn't love me. I, what? Where, what fan fiction is this? Um, excellent question, Austin. Thanks for sending us something fun. Austin, another Texas town. Cr true. Yeah, That's, you're really in like the Texas state of mind. Did you know all my exes live in Texas? Oh, was that why you why hang your hat in Tennessee? In Tennessee, <laughs> I was gonna go with. Um, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep oh, in the heart of Texas. We cannot clap in unison, no, apparently. Okay, that's fine. We'll move on. All right, it's time for marriage lessons, and you're up first. Wowzers. Wowzers. Caught me with my pants down. Uh-oh. I was just about to fart. Oh, no. So my marriage lesson, I think... Relates to our marriage, but also is very topical for today's time. Fantastic. And it comes from Moody's gift to Neville. Ooh. So he gives him this book to read when he tries yeah. to comfort him. Yeah. And it's a book about something that he really likes. Yeah. Which is an herbology book. And he even tacks on a compliment. I heard you're really good at herbology. Clearly, you know this. And my marriage lesson is give the gift of comfort. As an act of love. Mm. And so this is when we are trying to comfort our spouse, our partner in life. Let us always remember what is dear to them yeah. and what is important to them. Yeah, Not just doing something nice in general, yeah. but doing something that you know will touch them in a certain way. Yeah. 
And this has to do with all of us all the time, especially right now, you know, as stressed out as everyone is. Um, my buddy John, who I talk about on the podcast a lot, yeah. is a big gardener. I'm a big gardener too. We live two blocks away from each other. Yeah. Today, he brought me some potting soil and some Metro Mix. It's like a soil amendment that um, you add to potting soil to make it like has more fertilizer and like compost and stuff in it. Yeah. So he brought that to me, and I gave him a flat of pea plants that I'd started mm. and a basket with some seeds in it. Oh. And I gave him an old window that he's going to turn into a cold frame for his garden. Cute. But uh, we gave each other these gifts, but it wasn't just like, hey, man, I know you're stressed out. Here's a six pack of beer. It was, I know this is something that's important to you. I know that gardening for you right now is helping you relax through this really difficult time. So we ended up giving each other kind of the same gift. That's of comfort so just in different ways today. Oh my God. And I think that you and I are really good at this sort of thing too. I know mm-hmm. that I can give you something Harry Potter related <laughs> and it will make me happy. You know you can give me something Ninja Turtle related. True, true. <laughs> it will make me happy. I really do love that. So my marriage lesson is to use what you know about the other person and let your acts of love be gifts of comfort. Oh, I love that. And I love the word comfort just in general. It's just really nice. It it sounds like what it is. My marriage lesson comes from Harry's thoughts about Professor Trelawney. Oh, no. (laughs) Because he actually says uh, he had long since come to the conclusion that her brand of fortune telling was really no more than lucky guesswork and a spooky manner. And I just, I really love that line, but it reminded me so much of like all of the fake stuff that circulates about, you know, this crisis that we're in and false information. So it it inspired me to make a marriage lesson, which is to talk and make measurable goals regarding news consumption during this time and any kind of crisis-y time. It's, I'm not saying we need to go media blackout, no news, right? But I think that it would be cool if you and I, as a unit, held each other accountable for like, okay, so which news sources do we both kind of feel like are trustworthy? And, you know, what action do we take if someone we love posted something that's clearly not true? You know, do we step in or do we not? I think it's just about having like guidelines for how we handle this because it's everywhere right yeah. now. Yeah, I really like that because we were together for almost 10 years before we got married. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't some spur of the moment thing. Right. You know, we really had like built a strong foundation of what this thing is that we're about before we got married. And one strength that I think our marriage has and will continue to have is that we look at the marriage as bigger than the sum of its parts. Yeah. We look at it like, like a business like an organization, like a child, like a parent, like it's a religion. It's all of these things to us. And so we try to be on the same page with things. How are we going to steer this ship? Yeah. And I think it's really important that we keep coming back to steering the ship and being on the same page as how to steer it. And this is a really good way that we could do that. Do you remember the time when I kept calling it drive the boat? Instead of steer the ship. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell is she talking about? You do that a lot with like famous (laughs) phrases too, which I love about you. Like one time you were trying to say, 
tickling the ivories because you were acting like you were playing the piano and you said, I'm tickling the keys, man. I'm br- you brought that up last week on this show when we were talking about Judson Heard. You brought that up. I know. I'm not good at keeping things straight in my head. <laughs> well, for our Marauder shout outs today... I have a, a question for Kev. Oh, God. <laughs> you know that uh, what's been making the rounds on social media, which I have thoroughly enjoyed, are all of the different songs that you can sing in your head to wash your hands to so that you know you're washing your hands for at least 20 seconds. Yeah. So it could be like the chorus to this song. So for our Marauder patrons, I want to know what song are they using to wash their hands? Oh, my God. And what song are you using? I want to know that before we I'm jump using into- Jolene. Currently, the Jolene, chorus to Jolene. Jolene, yes. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's a great song. It does stick in your head for a while. I'm using that weird song from the musical Hair. Oh. I met a boy called Frank Mills on September 12th right here. You know that song? That's a choice. Yeah. All right. That's very random. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. We're going to start things off with our brand new Marauder, Dean Heath. Dean, wonderful Dean. Dean is going to be singing whatever song is played at a Carolina Panthers game. Do the Panthers have like a song that they surely, play? Surely they do. Whatever it is. I can also see Dean just washing his hands and going, go Panthers one, go Panthers two. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. How about Jennifer Ayers? I can feel it coming <gasps> through the airs tonight. Oh, my God. I love that song. I also love In the Deer tonight. I'll put it in our show notes. It's yeah. a YouTube video that makes me laugh until I almost pee my pants every single time I watch it. How about awesome Austin Scroggins with that fantastic question that he sent in? He's going to be listening to all. He's going to be singing to himself while he's washing his hands. All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> my God. How about Josh Bailey? What's that song from Black Panther? Oh, the um oh, all the stars, Kendrick Lamar. Oh yeah. All oh the God. stars by Kendrick Lamar. I That's love Josh's song. It. How about Nick Tillman? Nick Tillman is just humming. <laughs> He's just humming the Godfather theme song while he washes his hands. Oh Takes his big giant ring off before he washes his hands. <laughs> is he washing the blood off of his hands? No, he makes Sam kiss the ring, you know. <laughs> Speaking of Sam, what is Samantha Tillman singing in her head when she washes her hands? Since she likes to get swilly like Tilly, she's singing a chandelier by Sia. <gasps> oh, that's a great song. Party girl. Don't get her out anything. When will I learn? I feel the scrub. Feel, feel the, the scrub. scrub. Yes. How about Caitlin Dismuke? <laughs> Stop. We playing basketball. <laughs> Oh my god. Remember that old song? I do. I'm pretty sure it was from Space Jam. How about Heather Bevels? I don't know. What is Heather's jam? I feel like Heather's probably the other song that I do is probably one that Heather also does, which is Good as Hell by Lizzo. Baby, how you feeling? Feeling good as hell. Wash my hands. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. I let my hair down. Down. Wash Wash my my hands. hands. Baby, how you feeling? Feeling good as hell. Oh, yeah. How about Brianne Brown? Brianne Brown. Brown-Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. (gasps) Oh, I really hope she loves that song. I love that song. 
How about Ben Clark? Are you serious, Clark? (laughs) You know what Ben Clark is doing? He's doing the, um, he's singing that Christmas song from the beginning of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. What? Why? Because his last name's Clark. Are you serious, Clark? Oh, oh. Okay, see, I thought. Deck the halls and light the lights. I know what you thought I was going to say. Yeah. We come from a land down under. We're not doing that shit to Ben anymore. Okay. I, I'm, I'm. You're off the hook, Ben. I'm pleased with you and also like a little bit disappointed. No, we love Ben. No more Aussie jokes. We do love Ben. <laughs> How about Kelly Moore? Kelly has been reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy live. Yeah, she's been doing Facebook, Facebook live videos. It's such a good idea. Like while everyone's quarantining. Oh my God, it's wonderful. I feel like Kelly would be singing. I know what she's singing. What? Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Oh, because they live in Kentucky. Yep. Okay. How about Vicky Gutherless? Vicky Gutherless. What's that song that's tricky, tricky, but she changes it to I'm Vicky, tricky, Vicky. tricky, tricky. It's time to rock around to something, something, it's something, Vicky, something, Vicky, 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 Vicky. I can't do that part. Okay. Um, how about Natalia Ward? The Warden. Yeah. Oh, she's doing um, Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. <laughs> I wear black for the downtrodden. That's a really good Johnny Cash. I've always thought you had a good Johnny Cash. And last but not least, the sender of that beautiful message that we played for you earlier. How about Faith Kenfield? Well, I guess it would be nice. I knew you were going to do it. If, if I, I could, could touch, touch your body, body, I know not everybody has got a body like you. Is it me or you? Mm. I don't know where it's that song. It's a great but song. But I better wash twice, twice, twice. Oh, twice stop. Before I chafe my skin away. Oh, my God. I love that you have also changed the lyrics to be hand-washing topical like that that's kind of like bonus points i didn't even ask you to do that it's amazing you're very talented at what you do (laughs) so our end of show announcements if you are not already following us on social media please do so for instagram it's at the fox and the foxhound twitter at fox and foxhound no those no those and character limits (laughs) character limits and facebook.com slash the fox and the foxhound you can check out our website the fox and the foxhound.com for past marriage lessons and past prophecies you can listen to the episodes in the embedded player within our show notes for each week we post those the same day that the episode goes live just actually a couple hours later Special thanks to Judson Hurd, who composed the music for our show. Yeah. Lovely young Jay man. Jay Hurds. And special thanks to our manager of mischief and sometimes minister of magic, Josh Bailey. Yes. And welcome, Dean, aboard to the Marauders. Yes. Welcome, Dean. Oh, my gosh. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash the fox and the foxhound. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Send us questions. Send us questions and check-ins. The messages we've gotten this week from people who are enjoying listening to the show while they're at work or stuck at home. We love it. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that you want to put on the show, like right. a question about the series. We just love to hear from you guys. So if Absolutely. you just want to send us a private message, keep us updated about how things are in your country, in your town, yeah. and just know that we are just as anxious and as terrified as you are. If you feel like you're going crazy, you're not the only one. Try to stay positive constant vigilance yeah yeah. we will not let the darkness win we won't and it helps us feel connected to you and i think that's really important right now yeah so harry potter dad joke 
I think I'm going to make you go first this week. Where do Quidditch players like to eat after a big match? Where? The Quaffle House. <laughs> oh, God, don't make me want Waffle House right now. God, that sounds good. What was the name of that second unforgivable curse? Actually, what was the word that you use? Crucio. Ow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I am ashamed to tell you I had to think really hard about that one. I'm a torturer. I'm a torturer. Um, all right. We love you guys. Send us the songs that you're washing your hands to. Tell us what you're doing during this quarantining time. We look forward to the next time we speak to you come through your speakers, whatever. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys. Take care.